This is the Art of Composing podcast with John Brantingham, episode number three, So You Want to Be a Composer. Welcome to the Art of Composing podcast with me, John Brantingham, where you can learn to compose music. Welcome back to the Art of Composing podcast. Today we're going to be talking about how to start composing music. But before we get into it, a few updates. First off, I'd like to thank D. Rice One for his five-star review. D. Rice says, This podcast is very well done. John explains his ideas very clearly, and they make a lot of sense. I've been composing for years, but still learn from the Art of Composing blog every time I read an article. If you're interested in music composition, this is a great place to start. I look forward to future episodes. Well, thanks, D. Rice, for that review, and please keep them coming. The more reviews, the more, the more exposure I get in iTunes. As far as my personal life is going, I had the pleasure of going to a screening of the movie Mandela, followed by a Q&A with the composer Alex Hefes. I loved both the movie and the music, actually. Alex was also a very down-to-earth, pleasant guy. I felt a special connection to the subject, as I lived in South Africa for four years between 1996 and 2000, and I remember the Truth and Reconciliation hearings on TV. So it was a pretty interesting time there. In fact, my primary school, a place called Morningside, was just down the street from Nelson Mandela's presidential mansion in Durban. And uh, once we got the word that he was in Durban, so my friends and I walked to the mansion and asked the front guard to see him. Now, unfortunately, he had just left, and that was pretty much the only chance I had to see Nelson Mandela. Um, I heard that he liked to uh, meet people at the front gate, but either way, um, and and. I found it was kind of strange that we saw this movie and then, you know, a week or two later, Nelson Mandela passed away. So it was a, it was a pretty good experience overall. Now, I have officially begun work on the Art of Composing Academy, and uh, you may have heard me mention the Melody course in previous episodes, and that's really only going to be a part of it. I'll give more updates in the future, but the Academy is basically going to cover all the main subjects of learning to compose like melody, harmony, form, counterpoint, orchestration, etc. So I'm very excited about it, and uh, but it's still going to take me quite a while. Um, and then last but not least, I am delaying my entry into the USC, uh, UCLA Extension Film Scoring Certificate Program for a few months. Uh, I'm staying on with my job uh, where I work right now to help finish up a final project. And then more importantly, my wife is pregnant and we're having the baby in May, so I'll be pretty busy with that. But the wheels are still in motion, and it gives me some more time to uh, to save up a little bit and also to practice my counterpoint and my orchestration. Either way, let's get on with the featured content. So you want to be a composer. Well, this is no small task, and in fact, it involves a lifetime of study and hard work. But to start, well, that doesn't take much at all. There will be a few things that you need, but in reality, it can be done very cheaply. The goal of this episode is to get you up and running so that you can start composing immediately. Now, in this episode, we are going to cover several different areas that relate to composing and also some specific tools that you will either need or that you will make uh, that will make your life a lot easier. So first off, we'll talk about mindset. Your mindset, my mindset, the mindset you should have towards learning to compose, and and then the mindset you should have towards actually composing. Next, we'll talk about your studio. What kind of things are necessary to compose? Should you buy anything special? 
After that, I'll delve a little deeper into the topic of musical grammar, which I've touched on in previous episodes. We'll then go into a little bit about actually composing and how does it differ from learning to compose, and should you separate the two. Next, we'll go over why you should learn diatonic harmony in simple forms, a.k.a. musical logic. And then finally, I'll go over how you can learn this musical logic in my free beginner's composing course. So let's get on with it. Mindset. If you think about it, becoming a composer happens first in the mind. You have to choose to be a composer before you can actually compose anything. And you can do this in one of two ways. You can either go about it timidly, not really accepting it, or you can accept it from the beginning and be deliberate about it. That is why I recommend actually calling yourself a composer. Think about it. What is your identity in life? How do you normally talk about yourself to new people? I'm going to say chances are, more often than not, your identity is wrapped up in your job, or if you're young and you're still a student, then your school or possibly your grade. This is fine for some people, but if you're like me, then at least for most of my life, I haven't been a composer. I've been a student, I've been a soldier, a commander, a pilot, a construction worker, a quality control person. Um, I've been a million different things, but I've never been a composer. I think you can see that this, this is just going to be a roadblock to actually accepting uh, what your true passion is. Now, not to say that you want to be a composer with a capital C or, you know, that's going to be your life's great endeavor. Now, for most people, it won't be. But it, you should be clear and or it should be a clear and deliberate choice on your part. So if you want to be a composer, then call yourself a composer. If you want to be a plumber, call yourself a plumber. Me, I'm a composer, and I also do other things on the side to make money. That's how I see myself. Beyond this, you need to have what's called a beginner's mind. I've mentioned this several times in the past on my blog, but basically a beginner's mind doesn't judge a situation beforehand. A beginner's mind goes into a situation without any preconceived notions about what is right and what is wrong. Because in composing, there really is no right or wrong in the ultimate truthiness philosophical sense. Now, if you're actually a beginner, then this shouldn't be a problem because... Well, you're a beginner, so in turn, you should have a beginner's mind. If you've been composing for a number of years, on the other hand, then you probably have some ideas about the subject. So just be open to new ones. I know I can fall into this trap quite easily. The problem is not necessarily a problem of too much knowledge. It's a problem of too much pride. Pride in yourself and pride in your own capabilities. The other side of the coin is not approaching the subject expecting to be great at it. As a beginner, you will get frustrated, and that is normal. But your level of frustration is a matter of expectations. If you expect yourself to suck, then and then you don't suck quite as bad as you thought you would, then you'll feel pretty good about yourself when you finish a piece. But if you expect to be the next Mozart, <clears throat> I think you'll be disappointed to find out that you are, in fact, not the next Mozart. Just remember, a beginner's mind will allow you to grow. Finally, with mindset, you need to prepare yourself for deliberate practice. In a nutshell, deliberate practice is a specific kind of practice that focuses on small, measurable skills that are repeatable. This will allow you to make incremental gains in your ability and really catapult your composing skills. 
you've probably heard about the 10,000 hours that are necessary to become an expert in something, and I agree with this, but there's another thing to think about. It's the first 20 hours. You see, to become great at something, well, that, yeah, that's going to take years and years of focus and deliberate practice. But to become better than 90% of the population at something, well, that only really takes about 20 hours. But those 20 hours, they need to be really focused hours, just like with the 10,000 hours. And that 20 hours can be split up into smaller chunks of a subject. So if you spend 20 hours learning composition, and I mean really learning it, including studying some form, harmony, and melody, and putting that into practice, then you will be better than most people at composing music. And then splitting that subject up, say to 20 hours on form, and then 20 hours on harmony, and 20 hours on counterpoint, well, you'll be able, <clears throat> you'll actually be probably better than most composers at those subjects. It's really about being dedicated and having those deliberate practice hours. So once you get the mindset right, let's talk about your composing studio. Now, I recommend, just as with calling yourself a composer, call the place where you write your music your studio. Why? Because it just sounds a little bit cooler than the music room or the office or the yellow room, all of which my family calls my studio. I really need to just lay down the law and probably put up a little sign on the door that says studio or something really cool that says, like, genius at work or something. But, you know, maybe someday. Your studio should have everything you need to compose, and it should all be set up to offer you the least resistance in composing. Now, remember the concept of zero-friction composing I talked about in the previous episode. I realize this is easier said than done, and I can't say how many times I've reached for a pencil to find out all of the lead has been graciously emptied by my four-year-old son somewhere in my house, which is most likely in my bed, where I tend to find all sorts of strange things like toy cars and ice trays and, and screwdrivers on a regular basis. Either way, every studio really needs just a few things. Um, first off, staff paper, a pencil, and an eraser. When push comes to shove, this is really all you need. This is what the greats used. They didn't have any fancy schmancy notation programs or realistic samples. They just had their brains and writing utensils. For us mere mortals, on the other hand, it also helps to have a few other things. Next, a, comp a computer and a notation program and a sequencer. My personal, preference, or my personal preferences are Sibelius and Digital Performer, but if you are going for free or cheap, MuseScore is the way to go for a notation program, and for a DAW, Reaper is a great choice. It's not completely free, but it's cheap. And there are other DAWs that are free for Mac, Windows, and Linux, so I recommend just going on Google and searching around. The main benefit is being able to hear your music played back. This gets you out of having to play an instrument well. But, as I had said before, I believe playing an instrument is important to being a composer. Imagine you are near a piano and someone asks you to play one of your pieces. You look at him and you say, well, <clears throat> um, yeah, I, I actually can't play it, so hmm. it doesn't sound very professional. So nonetheless, it helps to have a computer with a notation program and a sequencer, but I do recommend learning to play an instrument. Now next, you'll need some way of checking your pitch. This could be on a computer or it could be on an instrument, but in particular, you'll need something that is just used to play notes and not necessarily record them. 
Most sequencers and notation programs have a little keyboard view that you can open and click on the notes, but that can be a little cumbersome. So I do recommend, even if you're not a piano or keyboard player, to have a piano or a keyboard. You don't need anything special. Um, you can probably find one on Craigslist for, for cheap and actually for free, kind of a digression here, but um, I picked up a piano once uh, for free off of somebody in Washington. It wasn't in very great shape, but nonetheless it was free and uh, it was kind of a cool looking you know, old piano from like the 20s. So uh, either way, if you get a piano, just make sure everything works on it. A lot of a lot of times, old pianos have broken parts like bad pedals or keys um, or even a broken plate, which could be dangerous due to the enormous tension on the piano strings. Um, and then I would just expect that it's going to be out of tune. So you're probably, even if you get something for free, you're going to have to pay 150 bucks or more to get it, it tuned up. So probably easier than that would be to get a decent MIDI keyboard. Now, if you're looking for something cheap and simple... I would look at the M-Audio Key Station, which I own one, and um, it's only about $99. It hooks up to your computer via USB, and it doesn't have many bells and whistles, uh, which can actually be too confusing and get in your way at the beginning. So um, by the time you figure out that you need something more, like if you need an extra slider or, or you, know, you need an extra knob or something, um, you'll know exactly what you're going to want. Now, if you play an instrument other than the keyboard, I recommend using that. I've composed many pieces using my trumpet or, or guitar, especially when I was younger. Every instrument will steer you in a different direction compositionally. Due to what is comfortable on one not being really comfortable or the same on the other. It's really easy for me to hit a, you know, a double high C on the piano, and that's really a trumpet term, but it's much harder for me to do that on trumpet, so I end up composing within the limitations of that instrument a lot more. So, and really, when it gets down to it, that's all you need in your studio, you know, pen and paper, uh, staff paper, and if you can afford it, get a computer and get a keyboard, but um, you don't actually need those. You just really need something to check your pitch and that, that pen and paper. So after setting up your studio, you need to make sure that you learn your musical grammar. I can't stress this enough. This means that you need to be able to read music notation, know your key signatures, know your musical symbols and terms, and know the names and different types of chords and what they sound like. Now, I know there are people out there that have learned to compose without learning to read music, and while I admire their spirit and their drive, not being able to read music will just get in the way of things. For one, you will have a hard time getting other people to play your music. I guess you could record and then get somebody to transcribe it for you, but in reality, that's probably just going to be a little bit embarrassing. So learn your musical grammar. I'll post a link to a good uh, a good site that has uh, good music theory, uh, like beginner music theory, how to read music and stuff, in the show notes. Now, when it comes to actually composing, this is where the rubber meets the road. I don't want to downplay this as it's a vast subject, but if you're starting off, I just want to cover a few sub or a few concepts. First, in my mind, there are two types of composing. There's composing with a capital C. This is where you are attempting to create a work of art, you know, where you're realizing your passions and letting your imagination just kind of run free. And then there's composing practice. 
Now, it may, say, uh, it may seem to be the same thing on the surface, but it is actually quite different in purpose. When you practice, you are attempting to improve specific skill sets. You are still creating new music, but there should be far more discipline to sticking towards your plan. And that plan should be clear from the outset. You should have learning goals. It could be something as small as writing an 8-bar theme using only the chords 1 and 5, or something as big as writing a piano sonata in traditional forms like sonata form or minuet and trio form. I'm not saying this music is going to be bad, but the mindset is different. You're trying to improve, not impress. Now, composing with a capital C, on the other hand, is really a time to forget the rules, forget the theory, and forget the purpose, and to just write. Now, when you're just starting off, I recommend composing with a capital C. Don't worry at the beginning about getting things right or necessary. Just compose. As you become more comfortable with the act of creating music, you will start to naturally want to practice specific things. So how do you actually begin to write? Well, if you listen to my second episode, you can hear me compose a piece, albeit a rather trite one, but you'll hear how I basically hunt around for ideas on the piano. If you know your musical grammar, then the best piece of advice I can give you is to actually start to write down your ideas. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, you know, when you're noodling around, especially when you understand your musical grammar, you're going to naturally go to some basic elements. So I'd like to cover just a few of those general elements and those general ideas uh, to start you off. First off, there are basically two types of melody that you can write. There are scale line melodies, also known as stepwise or conjunct melodies, and then there are chord line melodies, also known as disjunct melodies. Scale line melodies move in steps and half steps and generally follow the underlying scale, although you can add in chromatic notes as well. Chord line melodies, on the, on the other hand, they move in leaps. Now, within a single idea, try mixing up the two. Use sections that are generally scalar and then sections that are generally chordal. Worst comes to worst, write an arpeggio up the tonic chord. That always seems to work. Beyond that, at least at the beginning, stick to simple chords. There's no shame in it. Don't be afraid to just use C and F and G. Everybody else does it, and even Beethoven and Mozart have written almost entire you know, little pieces just using 1 and 5. Now, as of this episode, I'm still in the process of creating my course on melody, uh, which will cover these different melodic styles in depth, as well as give you the tools to come up with melodies that sound good and are playable or singable. I was hoping to get this course out by the end of December 2013, but it looks like it will take me just a little bit longer, mostly due to adding on more material that I feel needs to be in the course. So once you've kind of got your basic ideas down and, uh, and you, you need to develop it, I next recommend to learn your musical logic. Now, after you've taken time to actually compose, um, I recommend learning some simple musical forms. What do I mean by simple musical forms? Well, these are the things like sentences, periods, small ternary, and small binary forms. I've written articles about all of these on my site. Uh, just go to artofcomposing.com slash musicalform 
all one word, musical form, no dashes. The essence of these forms is that you can basically chop them up into small chunks. This, I believe, makes the process of composing far less intimidating because you don't have to worry about how you're going to write three minutes or four minutes of music. You just worry about the first two bars, and then you worry about the next two bars, and you worry about where they repeat and how to change their harmony and where do you put the cadence and so on until you find that you've pretty much written an entire piece. It's kind of like the saying goes, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. The form of a piece is what gives it structure and really what signals the beginning, middle, and end. Now, I, I love using form, especially when I'm doing composing practice. Um, a lot of times when I'm doing composing with a capital C, I'll, I won't actively try to fit it within a form um, because, like I said, that's, that's a time to kind of just write and forget the rules a little bit. But if you're practicing, pick a form and try to make your music conform to that form. Try to fit it in. Now, beyond form, I also really highly re recommend learning simple diatonic harmony. Understanding some simple concepts about harmony will take you very far. It's kind of like shampoo. A little bit goes a long way. Now, I'm a fan of a chart originally created by Dmitry Tomashko in his book, A Geometry of Music. I'll put a link to his book in the show notes, and I'll also post a picture of what this chart looks like. But basically, the concept is traditional diatonic harmony moves in what are called harmonic cycles. Now, these tend to go from the tonic chord, or the first chord in a scale, to the dominant chord, or the fifth chord in a scale. And these go through another kind of chord, a predominant chord, or also known as a subdominant chord. In the chart, it shows you how to do this. It basically, it basically will show you uh, from left to right a tonic chord moving through a predominant chord through to a dominant chord and then back to tonic. Now, I have an article that goes in depth on how to use this chart but that's basically it in a nutshell, is if you want to use diatonic harmony in a logical way, you've got to follow these harmonic cycles. You start at 1, you move to 5, and back to 1. And there's obviously there's a lot of variations, there's modulation, so you can change through other kinds of chords what that one chord is. You know, you could, uh, you could do something like this, where you start at 1, you move to the predominant chord, and then maybe you change that into a five chord of a new key, which would change the one to a five. Uh, you know, that's just something off the top of my head, and that was kind of a simple example, but really the concept is a, is a solid concept. Now finally, if you wanna put all of this together, I highly recommend signing up for my free beginner's composing course. The course is a video series with worksheets and musical examples, and it takes you from the first note of a new piece all the way to completing that piece in small ternary form. Now, I cover all the topics I've discussed, including writing a melody, theme types, harmony, and completing your piece, 
And uh, if you go through the videos, then I do recommend signing up for a SoundCloud account and then uh, sending me a link to your videos, or or I'll try to put up a place on my website where you can post the stuff that you've written after going through that free course. To sign up, just go to artofcomposing.com slash free. That's artofcomposing.com slash free and sign up there. Uh, once you sign up, you will receive an email that has a name and password for logging into the course. Um, and it also, first you'll get a confirmation message and then you'll get the email with the name and password. So let's talk about the takeaways for this episode. Becoming a composer first starts with calling yourself a composer. Fake it till you make it. That's what I always say. You need to approach composing with a beginner's mind. This will give you the freedom to accept what you are learning and to grow as a composer. Be prepared to put in at least 20 hours of deliberate practice to get comfortable with composing and another 9,980 hours to become a master. But don't worry, even if you only do those 20 hours, you'll be a pretty decent composer. Set up your studio so that it's comfortable for you with all of the basics for composing at an arm's reach. At a minimum, have your staff paper, a pencil, an eraser, and some kind of instrument to help you orient on your pitch. Learn the grammar of music and learn it well. It will make your life a lot easier. If you're worried about how to start with the first note, then just start with C. That always seems to work. But seriously, try to think of the shape of your melody and mixing up scale lines and chord lines. And you can always move up the tonic chord at the beginning. You can also take one of your favorite pieces and then write a variation on it. Remember, you're practicing, so you can do whatever you want, really, as long as it helps you progress in your goal of becoming a composer. Finally, learn some basic musical form, basic diatonic harmony, and then go through my free beginner's course. It's available at artofcomposing.com free. Thanks again for listening to the Art of Composing podcast. As always, if you like the podcast, leave me a review on iTunes. You can also now listen on Stitcher, which is pretty good. If you like to use Stitcher, that modality is now available for you. The show notes are available at artofcomposing.com slash episode three. That's episode three with no dashes or spaces or anything like that. So thanks for listening. This was episode three of the Art of Composing podcast.